0: Thank you for listening to this message from Waynesboro Free Methodist Church. Our mission is to multiply faithful followers of Jesus Christ. We hope this message helps you along your journey. Well, a mother invited uh, some guests for dinner, and at the table she turned to her six-year-old daughter and she said, honey, would you like to offer the blessing? And the six-year-old said, I wouldn't know what to say. And the mother said, just say what you hear mommy saying. And so the little girl bowed her head. And with all sincerity in her voice, she said, Lord, why on earth did I invite these people? Today we are going to consider what it looks like to practice radical hospitality as we multiply faithful followers of Jesus Christ. Hospitality is at the core of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Hospitality is at the core and the heart of the gospel, because you see, hospitality is a really big deal to God. All you have to do is pick up your Bible and look at hospitality from Genesis to Revelation. From Genesis 18 where Abraham unknowingly at Mamre invites three complete strangers to his house for dinner. And they happen to be angels that are carrying a precious gift. It is in that hospitality that Abraham learned that in their old age, he and Sarah would be blessed with a son. Two travelers along the road to Emmaus invite a stranger to journey with them. They can't believe that this stranger doesn't know what's happened in Jerusalem and the story of Jesus. And so they invite this person into their home Overnight, they break bread together with him, and they discover that the stranger is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and Savior. Hospitality goes from Genesis into the New Testament, into the book of Revelation, where Jesus knocks on the door and says, I'm always knocking. I'm always knocking. If you open the door, I will come in. I did a study of hospitality from the Old Testament to the end of the New Testament. And in the Old Testament, it was the law. You were obligated to extend hospitality, to extend love to the stranger any stranger didn't matter who the stranger was if they were passing through town if they were in your midst you were obligated to extend hospitality leviticus 19:33 when an alien the word there is ger 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 when an alien or a stranger lives with you in your land do not mistreat the stranger the alien, the stranger living with you must be treated as one of your native born. Love him as yourself, for you were Gerim, you were strangers, and I am the Lord your God. In Deuteronomy 10, The people of Israel are getting ready to cross the Jordan River and enter the land of Canaan. They've been there for 40 years in the wilderness. And Moses offers these very clear commands for God's people. Deuteronomy 10, 17. For the Lord your God is the God of the gods and Lord of the Lord's. He is the great God, the mighty and awesome God, who shows no partiality and cannot be bribed. God ensures that orphans and widows receive justice. God shows love to the foreigners living among you and gives them food and clothing. So you too must show love to foreigners, for you yourselves were once Foreigners in the land of Egypt. Moving to the New Testament, we see the significance of showing hospitality did not lessen one bit. Consider the Greek word for hospitality the word is philo, love. Xenia, stranger. The word is philoxenia, love for the stranger. It's kind of interesting. In our world, we don't hear much about that. The word that we hear most is xenophobia. Xenophobia. In reference to the rejection of strangers, xenophobia is the fear or hatred of people that are strangers or are foreigners. But we are called to phyloxenia. We are called to love the stranger. We're called to love the person that is different in our midst. Throughout the New Testament, we find it in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. You realize that hospitality, being hospitable, is one of the qualifications for elders, for overseers, for pastors, for leaders in the church. In 1 Timothy 3, 2, he says, Therefore, as an overseer, you must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable hospitable, able to teach. In Hebrews chapter 13, which is a reference back to Abraham, it's a reminder that hospitality is a non-negotiable. Hebrews 13:1. Let brotherly, sisterly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. For thereby, some have entertained angels unaware. Do you want a chance to meet an angel? Practice hospitality. In Romans 12, Paul tells us the fruit of love is a life of practicing love in action. He says, Don't just pretend. To love other people. Really love people. Hate what is wrong, hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy, work hard, serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble and keep on praying. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. Does that seem like the world that we live in? It seems at times that people's lives are falling apart. Our structures are falling apart. Our society at times feels like it's falling apart. Hatred, animosity, division, wall building are escalating at an alarming rate. The line versus us and them is getting much clearer. It's easy to be drawn into hatred and be passionate about it. Political convictions... Vaccines, police, masks, immigration, sexual identity, abortion, school boards versus parents. It seems to be happening everywhere. And there's absolutely no way that we as believers are able to escape what is going on in our society. The second that we draw a line and we categorize people as them and we are us, something happens. Something happens psychologically, something happens socially, and something happens spiritually. We stop allocating resources of empathy and compassion to anybody who falls outside of the boundary that we have set and the wall that we have erected around ourselves. So we end up giving extra to those who are on the inside and we end up holding back from those who are on the outside, those who are different. And there is a hostility that forms, a hostility that That is planted and that grows in the hearts of people. And before you know it, you see others through the emotion that you feel. And this creates very, very, very rigid lines that can be almost impossible to reconcile. A person's belief and a person's choice determines how I treat them. I find out what you believe. I sniff you out. I sniff you out. I find out what you believe and I hold it up to the light of the scrutiny of what is important to me and what I believe. I use this litmus test and I determine whether you are inside or whether you are outside of my loving boundary. If you are outside, then the preference of the day that I can display to you are many. I can cancel you. I can bully you. I can demoralize you. I can dehumanize you. I can degrade you. Until you come around to my point of view. How many of you, like me, have found yourself being drawn into this worldly, whirlwind cesspool? How many of you have found yourself being drawn in? Every day. You can't look at the news without being drawn in. You can't meet somebody that's different than you without being drawn in. Jesus said in Matthew 5.43... You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. If you love only those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? If you love only those who love and agree with you, you've allowed the culture of Rome to invade the culture of the kingdom of God. Luke 14, 12. Then Jesus turned to his host and said, when you put on a luncheon or you offer a banquet, don't invite your friends. Don't invite your brothers, your relatives, and your rich neighbors, for they will invite you back. And that will be your only reward. Instead, Invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. Then at the resurrection of the righteous, God will reward you for inviting those who could not repay you. What is biblical hospitality? It is creating a hospitable place, a hospitable space in hostile places. That is biblical hospitality. It is cultivating in our hearts a profound love for those who are different from us A profound love for our enemies that is not based on what they do or even what they believe. But it's based... We were strangers. We were strangers in Egypt. And God cared for us. And now we have the opportunity to practice hospitality. In the first year of my ministry, I was all gung-ho about taking young people on mission trips. And the reason I was gung-ho about taking young people on mission trips is because I had been on a mission trip To to Georgia, to Koinonia Farms, and I spent two months there the summer between my junior and senior year in high school. And when I went there, I hardly had ever encountered a black person. I know that may be hard to believe, but I grew up in an area of Pennsylvania where there was only one black person in my school. And so I had no idea how to relate. So I went to America's Georgia and Clarence Jordan established Koinonia Farms and he invited people to come into a space. And I came into a friendly space it was a space where we gathered every day, every morning for devotions. We read the scripture. I had just become a committed disciple of Jesus Christ. And I realized that I didn't know anything about following Jesus. And I thought, I'll go to, for two months, I'll go to Quininonia Farm and I'll learn how to follow Jesus. And I did. And you know who taught me how to follow Jesus? It was an eight year old black boy named Westry. And we hit it off for whatever reason. And this eight year old black boy knew Jesus in a deeper way, in a more profound way than I knew Jesus. <laughs> How can you be jealous of an eight-year-old who never wears shoes? <laughs> but I was. I was jealous. I was jealous of what he had in his heart. I was jealous of the way that he loved people. And so that summer, I came into a hospitable space. And I became the stranger. Stranger. I became a stranger. I became a strange one. Because all of those folks that were in that Christian community, they knew how to follow Jesus. They practiced it. They they would walk three miles to take a meal to a person. And that was barefooted. And it just blew my mind how hospitable everybody was. And I got there. And I didn't want to admit what I didn't know about the Christian faith. I didn't want to admit all of these things because I wasn't sure. I was smelling them. I was sniffing them out. But I was the stranger in the midst. Sometimes you have to be the stranger for God to be able to reach you and for God to be able to speak to you and use your life. One of my favorite authors is Henry Nowen. Henry Nowen, I was reading him at this time. He came out with a book in in 1975 called Reaching Out, and he says that there are three movements in the Christian life, and I'm going to speak to one of them today the movement in the Christian life that I needed to focus on at that time in my life was going from hostility to hospitality. Hostility to hospitality. And here's what Henry Nouwen said in 1975 in his book, Reaching Out. Our society seems to be increasingly full of fearfully aggressive defensive people, anxiously clinging to their property and inclined to look at their surrounding world with suspicion, always expecting an enemy to suddenly appear, intrude, and do harm. But still, our Christian vocation is to convert the enemy into a guest and to create the free and fearless space Where brotherhood and sisterhood can be fully experienced in Christ. I experienced that in Koinonia Farms. It was was a conversion experience. And it was a conversion experience because I resembled his remarks. I was afraid of some people. I didn't know how to act around other people. I was a stranger in in the kingdom of God. I wasn't sure what the protocol should be. And I certainly was a stranger in inviting people that were strangers into my life. So I grew that summer. And I learned that practicing hospitality was dying to myself, allowing Christ to live in me, and allowing Christ to roll out the welcome mat of my heart to anyone. To anyone. I realized And this little boy helped me to realize that. He began talking to me about what was in my cup. And I said, you mean my coffee? (laughs) He wasn't talking about that. He was talking about the cup of my heart. What was in the cup of my heart? Because when I get in an anxious situation, or... When I'm alone and I don't enjoy being alone with myself or I'm in a situation that uh, has some fear to it, what do I do? I fill up my cup. I fill up my cup with things that help me to feel not fearful, that help me to feel in control, and help me to get a grip on it so that I can handle the situation. And Westry helped me to realize that when I was going out to the worksite and I was encountering people that I never encountered before, that my anxiety was about filling up my cup with things that are comfortable for me and familiar to me to help me to be stabilized So hospitality, radical hospitality is allowing the Holy Spirit to empty our cups so that we can be fully present with another person and we don't have to control that person. We don't have to argue with them. We don't have to one-up them. Because that's not the way that Jesus won our salvation. I can deal within my own heart with beliefs that I have and allow the Holy Spirit to tell me the truth so that I can be emptied of myself and I can truly listen to others. Before we moved to Virginia, my wife and I and our family resettled um, four families. They were refugees from other cultures, and one came from Russia and was married to a gentleman from Burundi. I never met anybody from Russia or Burundi. I had no idea what to expect. Others were from Bosnia. They had been through uh, terrible times of war in which the Christians were killing them, the Serbs. And they told me story after story of how they had to evade them, and and they had to run. And one woman said that, she was on a bus and they had separated the women and the men and they were taking the women to a compound and she asked to go to the bathroom by the side of the road and she went in the bathroom and actually went down through the through the outdoor toilet, kicked a hole in it, went through that mess and rolled down the hill to freedom. And there she is, sitting at my table. not sharing the faith that I shared. And so I had to empty myself so that Christ could be present. I think in our culture, we believe that radical hospitality is taking somebody out to lunch. Biblical hospitality, radical hospitality is creating a hospitable space. In a hostile place where an enemy can become a guest and through Christ can become family. So, why is radical hospitality on the top five values of this congregation? Why is it there? Because our hospitality flows from divine hospitality that you and I have been shown through Christ. Loving outsiders is not optional. Loving people who don't love us is not optional. If you read and understand the gospel, the truth is that at best, if you are a Gentile, you have been grafted into the vine late. You have been grafted in. You have not grafted yourself. By the time you get on the scene, the Bible tells us that we are not good people. The Bible tells us that Jesus has chosen us and we we were enemies of God. We were dead in our sins. We hated God by our nature. And we in the scripture would be the people who were crucifying Jesus. If that doesn't bring us to a profound sense of humility, I don't know what will. The gospel tells us that what it took Jesus to create hospitable space for us when we were hostile enemies was his death and his resurrection. And then the power of God to raise him from the dead so that he could extend hospitality to you and me. Hospitality is central to the gospel. That's why Paul says, and I love this verse in Ephesians 2, 12 and 13 and 19, remember, remember this, that you were at that time separated from Christ. You were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenant of the promise. You had no hope. You were without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, your fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. That's our story. That is our story. There's nothing in there, nothing in that gospel story that gives me an inside claim to the kingdom of God over anyone else in this entire world. Nothing in the gospel gives me the right to turn others away because I litmus test them to my requirements. There's nothing in the gospel that gives me the right to declare myself as a good person, as a deserving person, and put a wall up for anyone else. We are the outsiders rescued by the grace of Jesus Christ. And what Jesus did was create spaces of welcome. Spaces where he could Welcome people where he could be welcomed into their lives to convert the identity of those who were considered outsiders and rejects by a religious culture of his day so that the kingdom of God could be extended. Read the Gospel of Luke. Luke 4. Jesus' ministry was to the outsider, not the insider his ministry to the was to the ones who needed it. Luke 5. Jesus creates a stir by eating with sinners. Luke 10. Story of the good Samaritan. This is a story about who is the neighbor? Who is the neighbor here? Person that comes to church every week and uh, Wait a minute, Jesus. Uh You made the wrong guy the hero in this story. The good Samaritan is not, should not be the hero in this story. And Jesus said, go be like the wrong guy. Go be like the good Samaritan. Because only then can you be a neighbor when you do likewise to the ones who are outside your wall. In Luke 15, he says, go find the sheep. Go find the lost coin. Go find the prodigal son. And then in Luke 19, Jesus comes along and he looks up in a tree and he sees a little guy, a total cultural traitor, despicable and despised by his people. And Jesus says, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your home. And Jesus changed Zacchaeus' identity, he now realized that he was a son of Abraham. As you read the Gospels, it's a menagerie of different people. It's a menagerie of those who don't deserve anything. It's a menagerie of, of enemies of Jesus. And he welcomes them at the table of redemption. He creates a space of belonging to extend to them the kingdom of God Jesus is not controlled by xenophobia he's controlled by philozenia he's controlled by the love of of all people that are created In the image of God. What does the gospel have to say to this society that we live in? It is this. Get ready. Because we, the body of Christ, those who are believers in Christ who have been rescued from the status of enemy and made into his friends, we have been transformed by his amazing power And we're coming out into this world with the kingdom of God that is within us that disrupts and dismantles all human barriers. You can't put up a barrier that will keep us from showing you radical hospitality. For you see, Jesus Christ has created a new humanity in our midst. No longer is my worth, my value, my significance, and my importance determined by what I do. No longer is my worth, my value, my significance, and importance determined by how you think of me. My worth, my value, my significance, and my importance, my identity is I am a child of God who has been transformed from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of Christ, light. And the gospel says, think of that person now. Think of that person in your mind where you cannot give them a hospitable space. Think of the person that's doing something that is irritating the living daylights out of you. The gospel proclaims that that person, that person, that person, their worth, their value, their significance, and their importance is not determined by what they do or how they act or whether they agree with you. They get the same worth and value that you have received through Jesus Christ. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad that Jesus did that for you? I am glad that Jesus had mercy on me. I'm glad that Jesus saw me when I didn't feel valuable. And he saw my value and he came and died on the cross. He extended his heart to me. And I'm telling you, when I was in America's Georgia, I grabbed on and I grabbed on tight because I realized that my fear of the black person, my fear of the person that I can't put in in my controllable mold is about me. It's about me. It's not about them. It's never about them. Who are we to follow a savior like that and turn inward out of fear and shut others out? Who are we to do that? Because hospitality is central to the way that Jesus' mission thrives in this world. How do we do it? How do we do that? First, we have to learn to do it inside the church. Inside the church. We have to create a hospitable community inside the body of Christ where people can come on a Sunday morning and say, I don't know, I'm feeling hostile towards you. If you need to say that, say that to me. It's really all right. I'm not going to take it personally. Why? Because your cup is full of something. Your cup is full of something that is coming out through your heart. Take the log out of your own eye so that you can see the splinter in your brother or sister's eye. 1 Peter 4, 8 says, Above all, maintain an intense love for each other since love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaining. I believe that we first have to become the stranger ourselves. We have to know what it feels like to be in an environment where you where you're not sure how somebody else is going to treat you. I'm going to close with this story of a young lady. In 1975 I began my first pastorate. And I was gung-ho And I was gung-ho about mission trips, and you know why? I had been to America's Georgia, and let's go. So I wanted to take young people on mission trips. So we had about 30 young people that we took to Tennessee. There was one young lady in that group, and she came from a little bit higher society. Her parents had money. They had a lot of money. Everybody in town knew it. Everybody knew it, and she did too. And she would come to church every, every week with a different pair of shoes. I said, how many pairs of shoes do you have? About a hundred. And truth be told, she kind of looked down. Kind of looked down at everybody else. Oh, these people. Ooh, ooh. It's like they were dirt to her. Right? So when she filled out the application and told me that she was going on this mission trip. I'm like, this is a God thing. This is a God thing. So she said, I'll go, but I don't want to do any dirty work. I said, I can't promise you that. Then don't go. But I want to go. I said, then go. (laughs) Finally, she filled it out. Her mom calls me, pays a secret visit to me and said, Oh, I'm so thankful she's going. I hate to say this, but uh, she's a brat. (laughs) She's spoiled. She has no need for others. But she's very self-conscious about her appearance. So we go on the trip. And lo and behold, she is assigned to my group. And there are youth groups there from all over the country. So she and I are the only ones that know each other in my group. And all the other kids in the group are from Ohio, Tennessee, you know, Michigan, (laughs) all over the place. So we get to this lady's house, and here's our assignment. This lady is literally living in a chicken coop, and there are no chickens anymore. But she's living in a chicken coop, and our assignment was... To Jack up the chicken coop and take the chicken poop out from underneath and put a foundation there <laughs> so here comes miss Miss Prissy, right, and she 's got great clothing on, and I 'm like, Oh, this should really be good, so she gets to the site and The crew is assigned. There's one person that is assigned to give jobs to people. Guess what job she got? Cleaning out the chicken poop from under the chicken coop. I'm not doing that. And you better tell the rest of the group, you're not doing that. I'm not doing that. I don't care. And I don't want to know this lady, and I don't care about this lady. So she's over there sulking for about an hour. Everybody else is working. We're saving the poop for you, the kids said. So she comes over. She takes a rake or a shovel and gets it in her hand, and she crawls under that chicken coop. And her life was never the same after that. She scooped it out. She got dirty. She, I could tell there was a transformation happening. And the lady, her name was Helen, the lady who was living in the chicken coop was very, very, very poor. And she had cancer. And she was going to die. And every day she spent her money on baking those kids Muffins, cookies, and they're like, you don't have any money, you don't have the money. That chicken coop became a hospitable place where this young lady encountered her fears, her beliefs, people that were different than she was, what it meant to be worth something, and who was worth something. And at the end of it, She did not want to go home. She called her mother and said, I would like to stay here and live with her for several months and take care of her. I could not believe the transformation in this young lady's life. She went back, and for Christmas, the family would spend thousands of dollars on Christmas presents. She went to her parents, and she said, I don't want you to get me any Christmas presents this year. None. I want you to take the money that you would spend on my Christmas presents and send it to Helen. And her life was transformed. She was a stranger in that place, a stranger in that world. And Jesus Christ met her there. He met her there, and he not only showed her the value of her soul, but he showed her the value of everyone's soul. And I'm telling you, she became a person of radical hospitality as a way of living her entire life. So we are called to practice radical hospitality. And there's one, there's one quote that I want to share with you that comes from... I'm not sure exactly where it is. Oh, here it is. This comes from Rosario Butterfield... Rosario Butterfield was a scholar at the University of Syracuse. She was a a lesbian woman who advocated for the LGBTQ community. She particularly felt that it was her calling in life to take evangelicals Christians, believers in Jesus Christ, and psychologically understand them so that their uh, quirkiness could be revealed to the world. Uh, definitely Christians were outside of her group. She wrote manuscripts, she wrote uh, articles, uh, and she was a very angry woman. And then one day, a pastor from a Reformed Presbyterian church, Pastor Smith, came to her and invited her to dinner. He invited her to dinner. She went because she thought, wow, how, <laughs> this is like studying monkeys and going right into the cage. So I'm going into the cage with with this conservative Christian. I'm going to find out all about him, find out what makes him tick. Several years later, Rosario was still going to lunch once a week at Pastor Smith's house. But now there was a difference. Because Pastor Smith and his wife and his family practiced radical hospitality And if you go online and you listen to Rosario, R O R O S A R I O Butterfield, and you just Google it, and you Google her testimony, you will hear her saying, I went there, I tried to provoke them, I couldn't provoke them. They kept loving me. And see what the Butterfields did was they didn't put their they didn't put all kinds of biblical facts in their cup to uh, nail her. They reached out. They allowed Christ to empty their cup, fill it with His love, and when the time was right, they were able to talk to her. She read the Bible because she didn't know what it said. And she wanted to read it for her article. And she ended up coming into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Today, she is a pastor's wife. And here's what she says. She wrote the book, The Gospel Comes with a House Key. Radical ordinary hospitality is this. Seeking to make strangers neighbors and those neighbors part of the family of God. Radical ordinary hospitality characterizes those who don't fuss over different worldviews represented at the dinner table. The truly hospitable aren't embarrassed to keep friendships with people who are different because Jesus dined with sinners but he didn't sin with sinners. Jesus lived in the world but he didn't live like the world. This is the Jesus paradox. There's a core difference between sharing the gospel with the lost and imposing a specific moral standard on the unconverted. Our real identity is not in the sin we battle. It is in the Savior that we embrace. And that transformation of her life has spoken volumes to me in my own. The transformation of that young lady's life in Tennessee speaks volumes to my own. When I get on the phone with a neighbor from Love, Inc. and I do a relational contact, that person will tell me something like this. I've been hurt by Christians. As far as I'm concerned, Christians Christians are mean people. They're very mean. My mother-in-law died two months ago. I was, I was thinking about Christ up until that time. But how can Jesus take a godly woman like my mother-in-law... And leave all of these people on the face of the earth. I don't, I don't say, oh, fill my cup. What's the answer to that question? Oh, fill my cup. Oh, fill my cup. What's a good biblical response? Oh, fill my cup. How can I? Nope. Jesus, I know you love this lady. I know you love this gentleman as much as you love me. They don't know it. So Jesus, I'm going to take everything that's in my cup. I'm going to dump it out. And would you fill me here? Would you fill me? So for the one response, this is what I said. I said, wow, it sounds like you've really been hurt by Christians in your life. It sounds like you might have a few Christians in mind that have really hurt you. Would you be willing, would you be willing to come into a space, a space of hospitality, a space where you won't be judged, a space where you will be loved with one Christian that I know? Would you be willing to come into that space with them And just take that to God. And would you be that one person? Would you be that one person that I can link up with that other person on the line? Would you be that one person? Would you practice radical hospitality? Because radical hospitality is what it is going to take. for the church to stop talking about loving people and getting outside the doors into people's lives, lives that are messy, lives that don't make sense, lives that are on the other side of your litmus test, enemies. Would you be willing to be the stranger first Because I'm telling you, if you go into that situation just like me, you're going to be the stranger. But it's the stranger in the scripture who has the gift to offer to the other. Let's pray. Gracious God, we can only shout it out today. Thank you for your radical hospitality. Thank you, Jesus, for rescuing us. Thank you for saving us when we were your enemies, when our hearts were far from you, when we were running the other way. Thank you, Lord, for your Xenia. For the love that you had for the stranger in Egypt. For the love that you had for your children and your promises never, never, ever waylaid. Help us, Lord, to practice radical hospitality. with the people and the places in our lives right now that are hostile to us? How can we turn that place into a hospitable space so that we have the fundamental attitude toward others that you have toward them? Lord, save us from the assumptions that strangers are always potentially dangerous and it's up to them to disprove it. Lord, fill us with the fullness of your Holy Spirit so that we can come to life in who we are and we don't get our worth or our value or significance or importance from anybody else but you. And the persons that you're calling us to love don't get their value and worth and significance and importance from anywhere else either. Fill us with your Holy Spirit that we might maintain an intense love for each other, a love that covers a multitude of sins, and then reach out to this world with an intentional, practical love that invites people to come as enemies and leave his family. We pray your blessing upon this body of Christ as we live out this value, this value of radical hospitality to multiply faithful followers of Jesus Christ. We hope this message helps you multiply faithful followers of Jesus Christ. For more information about our church, please visit waynesboroughfm.com.